And I thought my church was spread out. I like to feel close to the people of God. Greetings in the name of Jesus today. Greetings not only from myself, but greetings from Whiting Community Baptist Church. And special greetings. Is there a young man in the, in the, the fellowship today by the name of Sam? Sam, I am so blessed to have your dad, Dwight. He's been coming to our fellowship. We're sharing this. I, there's a God thing going on here between these fellowships. I, I don't know what it is. God's going to do something. But your dad is such a blessing. We are so glad that he has come to join us. And he's loving God's word and just beginning to fit in. And so we're so blessed that he brought him. And I want to just a special shout out to you this morning. Yeah, yeah, I can't get away from him. Although, you didn't tell him ahead of time that he was coming, did you? We wanted to surprise him. I told, I said, please tell Sam not to tell him. So when he shows up at fellowship this morning, he's going to see your dad, Dwight. You might have heard it from online here. Okay. <laughs> what a blessing. So he's going he's gonna to be bringing the word. He's going to, it's interesting, he's going to give a full overview of the Bible um, at our church. And, and I looked at his PowerPoint and I was like, okay, brother, you can do it. I know you can do it. We are long-winded, we preachers, but you can do it. Great man of God. I love it. I'm glad we got a chance to do the swap this morning. And this is really special because tomorrow I'm getting on a plane with my son to go to Israel for two weeks. Um, it'll be my second time in Israel. Last time I went, I was a teacher um, not a pastor. I was a teacher at a Christian school. And so this is going to give me just a little bit different perspective. And uh, I'm actually bringing three messages back um, when I come back from Israel. So I'm excited. So he's going to do an overview. I told somebody earlier, I'm going to give you an overview, but only of the book of 2 Timothy this morning. I'm not going to try to do the whole Bible. So you should have an outline with you this morning. It's a basic outline. I'm actually going to give you a free gift because I added a point after I put this together, and I didn't want to have to recopy it. So um, let me just tell you a little bit about me. Let me, get, let me just start off by talking about the opportunity of getting to share with some of the essentials of God's word in a short period of time this morning. So I'm only going to have a short period of time. Um, by the way, you don't have, oh, you do have a clock in here, okay? I told my, I told my church uh, three weeks ago my, my watch stopped working and haven't had a chance to go get a um, battery yet. And I said, do you know what it means when a pastor takes his watch off and puts it in the pulpit? Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> But I'm going to try to be, you know, good. I want to try to give you what you can absorb this morning. Okay, let me give you a little bit of background. I've been a pastor. This is my second time in Wisconsin. I was here from 91 to 96 over in Allenville, if you know where um, Allenville is or in Oshkosh. And the Lord, in his providence, chose to bring us back here three and a half years ago. Um, I left the American Baptist Church uh, about 16 years ago, and God brought me to an American Baptist Church. So tell me, God doesn't have a sense of humor. And I kind of wondered early on, why are you bringing me here, Lord? And what I did not know was by opening up God's word and teaching the word of God inductively, God has transformed the church at Whiting. It's incredible what he's doing. I have chills talking about it. So not only have I been a pastor for over 30 years, but I'm also an inductive Bible study leader. Um, I'm actually the co-ministry director of Beloved Truth. Uh, online, we teach inductive Bible study. And when you came into the two doors today, if you saw, there are some resources there from Beloved Truth. 
I asked pastor, would it be okay for me to do that? And since we are so like-minded, he's an inductive study guy as well. Um, he said, go ahead. There's wristbands. There's all kinds of stuff about online Bible studies. Go ahead and take it if you have any questions. And also, we are actually looking at the possibility of doing some training here this uh, fall, co-training together, because we both are inductive. And if you've never, do you know what inductive Bible study is? Have you ever done it? It is incredible. It's the best way to study God's Word. So that's a little bit about myself. Um, he's bringing a picture of your family this morning on PowerPoint. I don't do that, so you don't get to see a picture of my family. I'm married. Um, been married for going on 35 years, um, have uh, five children, four living, one that lives with Jesus, has been since 2000, and looking forward to going and seeing him, Maranatha, right? Looking forward to seeing him one day. So that's a little bit of my about, and one of the things I stress with my church and with my students online is the idea of knowing God's word for yourself in order to be a Berean, Acts 17, 11. particularly in the culture which we live in today, you need to know God's word for yourself. You can't expect somebody else to tell you it because the reality is even the ones that started out good that are teaching the word are straying away from the word of God. You need to know God's word for yourself. And one of the things that Landon and I covenanted with when we were talking about pulpit swap, he says, you've got to talk about the word of God today. And I said, okay, so he's talking about the word of God. I'm going to talk about the word of God this morning, right? So what I want to share with you in light of this truth, because let's be honest, church, there are many today who do not believe the, God, the word of God is, is completely true. Amen. Do you know that? Do you know that there's many churches today that do not believe that this word is inerrant? It is without error. It is completely sufficient for everything that we face in this life. And you'll hear me talk more about this. So these things we need to know, not only for ourselves in our walk with the Lord, but also to help others in their walk with the Lord. And you'll hear me talk about that. So I titled this message, Essential Exhortations from the book of 2 Timothy. So I want us to walk through what are the essential exhortations that Paul gives to Timothy. By the way, Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. Okay, He left him on at Ephesus. You see that in 1 Timothy so that he could continue on his gospel ministry. So he is, the, he is the pastor of the church. So what does he tell him? What are these essential exhortations? And for those who don't know me, I'm an alliterator. You know what an alliterator is? You've got your C's, your P's, your D's, whatever. I like to hang things on alliteration because it helps me. Hopefully it will help you. So I, I kind of joke with people and say, when I do my messages and alliterate, it's kind of like watching um, Sesame Street. How many of you watched Sesame Street as a kid? The letter for today is P, okay? And by the way, if you're, if you're good and we have a little bit of time at the end, I can actually do Cookie Monster and, um, and uh, Grover. So I, I do that. I always used to tell my kids that I taught at school, if you're good, I will do the voices for you, all right? So what are the essential exhortations? We're going to be looking at the P's today. We're going to walk through First Timothy or 2 Timothy, starting with uh, verse 1, 13, and 14. And we're going to be looking at the idea of protecting, protecting the Word of God. Listen to what Paul says in 13. He says, retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me, Okay, which you've heard from me 
in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So the first idea is protecting the word of God. We need to retain the standard of sound words. And what Paul is saying here, when he's talking about retaining, holding on to this pattern, this example that he had been given to Timothy. Well, we have that today in the word of God. We have a closed canon. We have the word of God completely, which by the way, he didn't have. Okay, he had, they had the Old Testament they also had the, the preaching of the gospel in the, in the word that was being proclaimed by the apostles. But today, we have the privilege, church, of having it in its complete form. So he says, retain, hold fast to this pattern, this example. This is the outline or sketch of sound teaching. Another way of saying sound teaching is healthy doctrine. The word sound there is used in the Greek to set a bone. So if somebody breaks a bone, it's used to set the bone so that it correctly uh, heals. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. That kind of healthy doctrine, that standard that we have from the Word of God. And what's interesting is I tell people this all the time. I consider this a sacred trust to stand behind the pulpit. Whether it's here at Freedom this morning or whether it's Whiting Community Baptist Church, I've been given a charge to teach God's word just as your pastor has and any of the elders who might teach as well. Okay, We have a responsibility not to make up what we're going to talk about, but we are to simply declare what's been given to us. We are simply the messengers of God's word. And by the way, the idea, and we'll see this in a couple minutes where he uses the word preaching, proclaiming. Nowhere in scripture does it say that the only one that preaches is the pastor. It is every one of our responsibilities to proclaim the word of God and the gospel. So you have the word of God in your hands so you can go ahead and do that. And what I think is such a privilege, I grew up, I grew up Catholic. I grew up in a, in a denomination where they didn't want us in God's word. We were, we were told that the only one who can accurately interpret the scripture is the priest. I'm here to tell you I am anti that. I am one who wants my people in God's word for themselves so that they can know the truth and can declare it, okay? The best, the best thing we have as pastors is when our people are in God's word, being those Bereans who can then share that with other people, right? I don't want an ignorant congregation. I want a congregation that knows God's word and does it in a way that God has given us the pattern for so he was to keep it. He was to maintain it. He was to hold fast to that. How? He was to do it, which the things that he had heard, okay, so the things that you hear from your pastor, the things that you hear from me this morning, the things that you hear from God's word, that is to be your pattern of teaching, okay? And how are we to do it? In the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. We're to teach in the faith, the gospel, in the love. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, guard the treasure. Okay, I don't even have to tell you what the Greek means. For you to understand the idea of guarding a treasure, right? If I were to ask you, brother, to, I have, I have this gorgeous diamond that's worth a million dollars, which you can laugh because I don't. I live on a pastor's salary. But if I did, say, listen, brother, I'm going away for a couple years, and I need you to watch this for me. 
What are you going to do, brother? You're going to take it out and play football with your buddies? No, you're going to guard this because I've entrusted it to you. In the same way, if a diamond is valuable, what's even more valuable? The word of God. It's living, breathing, it's life. Okay, he says, so guard the treasure. Guard it. Protect it, right? Which has been entrusted to you. It's a sacred trust. You know what? How do you do that? It's a stewardship from God. God has given us his word and has entrusted us with it. Did you know that? Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that each and every one of us has been given a trust of God's word to make sure that we guard it carefully? What do we need to guard it against? We need to guard it against the church. With all the stuff that's being taught out of pulpits today, we need to guard it against even the church, which is really, really scary, okay? Um, so the stewardship of truth that Paul had received, he's now passing along into the hands of Timothy, who's later on, we're going to see in chapter 2, verse 2, to pass it on to others. It was Timothy's responsibility and ours as believers today to preserve sound teaching from being corrupted. Now, I love this. This is a commentary, Dr. John Wolford. You know who Dr. John Wolford is? Anybody know him? Great man of God, super man of God. He went to be with the Lord a few years ago. He's the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary. But this is what he said. It was Timothy's responsibility to preserve sound teaching from being corrupted through distortion, dilution, watering it down, deletion, I love that, and addition. Right? We are to hold that. We are not to add to this. We're not to take away. We are to completely just declare it and learn it and teach it as it is. And that's our responsibility to get to know it, right? So heretical teaching was not just the po only a possibility to Paul. It was a constant threat to be guarded against. And if you read any of Paul's letters, it doesn't matter which letter, he seems to always be dealing with false teaching. Galatians, Corinthians, every one of Paul's letters, he's dealing with and guarding against. Because you know what? The enemy has had false teachers from the beginning. This is not new. He's been doing it from the beginning. But here's the beautiful thing. He says, guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Guess what? You don't have to do, you and I don't have to do this alone, right? Timothy could count on the assistance of the indwelling Spirit of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 and 4.13 talks about he's our resident teacher, right? And when it comes to heretical teaching, I'll give you a couple cross-references. Jude 3 talks about, you know, there were those who crept in unnoticed. They're coming into the church. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 and 3, verse 2, right? It is the Holy Spirit's desire to promote the truth about Christ, John 16, 3. It is his job to use us to teach the truth and to guard it. We can't do it on our own. And also to understand it. Let me just share a quick illustration. Um, we were talking the other day. I, was, I, was I teach a class online, How to Study Your Bible. And uh, we were talking about the importance of this method, this inductive method, but how it's, it's, it's just a method without the Holy Spirit right? It's just a way to study, a beautiful way, but without the Holy Spirit, you can't understand it. And we were, study, we were studying 1 Timothy right now online, and my sister's in my class, and my sister said to me, she said, Jim, recently there was, a, there was a scripture I was studying in 1 Timothy, and I didn't get it. I just didn't understand it. It wasn't clicking. 
She said, in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, did you pray and ask for enlightenment? The moment she prayed for enlightenment, the answer came, right? It is the Holy Spirit who guides us in his understanding and helps us to guard that treasure. Because you know what's, you know what, you know what's happening in our culture? We're absolutely being barraged as believers to let go of the standard and to, and to unguard the treasure. Just let it go. Let it do whatever it wants. No, we're to guard it. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna twist this over my dead body, right? You're going to twist the word of God over my dead body. I will stand. There's, there's not, not a lot of things I will stand and die for, but one thing I will die for, and I pray you will as well, is the word of God not to be twisted, not to be diluted, not to be added to. I will guard this with my life, and I will do it with the powerful help of the Holy Spirit. How about you? Are you ready to guard it? Because it's coming. All right? Let's continue on in chapter 2, verse 2. The next P is perpetuating. Perpetuating. The idea of being, being continual. Listen to what he says in 2, 2. He says, he says, you therefore, my son, in verse 1, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, see that word again, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he wasn't just giving uh, Timothy the truth. He expected the truth to be passed on, right? And when you think of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what, were, what commission were the disciples, the apostles given? To make disciples, Right? Well, you can't make disciples without the word of God. So you have to be able to give it to other people. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy to do. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but whether you know it or believe it, when you sit under teaching like Pastor Landon on a weekly basis, you are being trained as disciples to give what you know to somebody else. Can I ask you a question? Can I get real in our face for a moment? Not just your face, but my face as well. Who are you discipling? Who are you passing truth off to? Do you have anybody in your life that you could consider a disciplee, that you are discipling in the word of God, training them, helping them to know God's word and how to live by it, right? Um, I, I, I don't have a choice because God sends me people. I mean, there are people who, get, who come to me, I'm as busy as busy gets, and I literally can't put anything more on my plate, and God says, i got three more people I want you to counsel with. Okay, Lord, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. Is God sending you people to disciple, to, to bring up in the way of God's word? And here's the reality. This is why I believe inductive Bible study, knowing God's word for yourself in a deep way, is important to the issue of discipleship. Because if you don't know God's word, you can't pass it on. You can't give to somebody what you don't know, right? And I'm a, by the way, I'm just, I'm going to confess to the congregation this morning. I have a confession to you, and that is I'm a Bible addict, okay? My name is Jim. I'm a Bible addict. I'm a Bible nerd. I love God's word. I eat, breathe, and sleep God's word, right? And my hobbies are God's word, okay? I love it. Why? Because I believe we are so close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that we need to have an urgency to make sure God's people know God's word so that not only can they disciple somebody else in the faith, but they can share the gospel with somebody else. I I heard that prayed this morning upstairs, that we would get the gospel out. You can't do that unless you know God's word. So we are to to perpetuate the things you've heard from me to this morning through Pastor Landon and others, you, you are to give those right to other people who are able to teach others, right? What's interesting about First and Second Timothy is the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his own ministry. You see later on in the in the book he talks about I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now is waiting for me a crown of righteousness. Paul knows that his time is coming to an end, and so what does he have to do? He has to entrust it. To, to a man that he trusts, right? So that he will in turn entrust it to reliable men, reliable people. You don't want to just give this to anybody. Faithful men. You want to give it to people you can trust, right? And this is what many people will call the ministry of multiplication. And the ministry of multiplication is the method for propagating the gospel and God's word, right? Okay, continue on. In 2.15, you probably can quote this verse. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. Our next P is presenting. So we've gone from from protecting to perpetuating to presenting. Look at what he says in 2.15. He says, present yourself. Offer yourself. Present yourself, right? As one, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Be diligent. Be zealous, as as the Greek implies. Be diligent, be zealous. Be uh, intentional, right? Uh, As a workman, to do your best. To be sure that as you handle God's word, you're meeting God's approval. As a laborer who doesn't need to be ashamed. Now, what's interesting in the in the in Second Timothy is Paul has used the phrase ashamed on a couple different occasions. One point he says earlier in this text, he says, Don't be ashamed of me as a fellow soldier. Then he talks about later on these false teachers, these ones that have turned away who are going to be ashamed before the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when I show up to heaven one day or Jesus takes me home. I do not want to be ashamed. I want to receive approval. I want Jesus to say to me, great job handling my word. You were entrusted with it. You were faithful with it. And I'm I'm grateful for what you've done with my word. You know what? He wants that for every one of us. You are a workman. Did you know that? What I think is beautiful is the analogies that are used in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2, you're a soldier. 2 Timothy 2, you're a workman. You're a worker. He's going to talk about that later on in chapter 3. You're a worker. Do you consider yourself a worker for God's kingdom? You are a worker. If if you've been brought into salvation and you you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a worker. You're a soldier. You're a worker. And you need to work. What's your tool? The Bible, the Word of God. By the way, in, in, uh, you know, as a soldier, you're in battle, right? Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the full armor of God. Do you know that the only offensive weapon in the arm, armory that he, Paul mentions is the Word of God? 
everything else is defensive. Did you know that? Which means you need to stand strong. You've got one offensive weapon, but here's the cool thing. You only need one offensive weapon when it's the Word of God. It's empowered by the Spirit. All you need is the Word of God. You know, when the enemy comes against you, I love, I love Jesus' example in, in, uh, in the Gospels where he's uh, being uh, tempted by the enemy, right? And he keeps coming back with, and the word says, and the word says, and the word says, right? He corrects the enemy. We can correct false teaching. We can correct what the enemy is trying to get us to believe by the word of God. It's that powerful. It is absolutely that powerful, okay? So he's a laborer. And, and it was really interesting. Uh, think about this. Far worse than be ashamed before men is ashamed, being ashamed before God. Can you honestly say that you know God's word well enough and you're accurately handling it so that at any given moment God could say to you, well done, or you would be ashamed at the way you're handling it, right? Uh, I love it. James 1.22 don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of the word. And I love that illustration. It's like looking at yourself in the mirror and forgetting what you look like. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't forget this mug. I've been living with it for 61 years. How ridiculous would it be to, to, to go to my mirror today, look in the mirror, after five minutes walk away and forget what I look like? I've been staring at this in the mirror for 61 years. See, that's ridiculous. But what, what James is saying is if you are not a doer of the word, and just to hear, it's like looking at the mirror and forget what you look like, right? God doesn't expect us just to know it. He expects us to live it out. 2 Corinthians 5.9. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He says, whether in or outside the body, we make it our aim to what? We make it our goal to please the Lord. How do we please the Lord? By the way we handle his word, by how we present his word as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handles the word of truth. And back then, this would have been Old Testament scripture and the oral tradition that he would have received from Paul, okay? And the Greek word here means to correctly handle, right? And it means to cut straight. How many in here are masons, who build stuff, any carpenters or anything in here who build stuff, right, masons or anything like that, you build stuff, the idea means to cut straight. Or women, for those of you, and it's not just women, but, but often it is, who, who make um, clothes and stuff, who, who, you know, do sew stuff, right? It's setting that straight. That's what Paul's saying, set it straight, right? Um, and and what, what's interesting is, what's clear from the text here is that there is shame of God's disapproval waiting for those who mishandle the word. You know what I often say about teachers who are mishandling the word of God? I would not want to be in their shoes standing on the day of judgment when they've mishandled the word of God. There's a lot of things that God is going to hold me accountable for in 2 Corinthians at the judgment seat of Christ. The one thing I don't want him holding me accountable for is mishandling his word. And I tell my congregation, I've told them this for three and a half years, and anybody who knows me, I will never, ever, ever do anything to teach an error purposefully. If I do it out of ignorance, 
and I recognize that ignorance, I will come back and I will admit, or I'm not afraid to say, listen, I didn't understand it completely. I was wrong. I have a fuller revelation of it now, and I'm willing to, to speak the truth to you and be corrected by the word of God. And I believe your pastor is the same way. Would you, would you agree with me that he's the same way? He will not do that, okay? Now, this is the bonus. This is the bonus. And I won't spend a whole lot of time in here. But in 23 through 26, I titled this Perfecting. I, I had to find a P for it. This one looked good, Perfecting, okay? And what goes on here in 23 through 26 is what I'm titling Refusing and Correcting. He says to Timothy, and I think this is true of us, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Okay, I think this has to do with not just dealing with the body of Christ, but dealing with unbelievers. Don't get into foolish and ignorant speculations about the word of God. Go after the clear, because they can get you so distracted. One of the things the enemy likes to do is get us distracted. You know one of the ways he does it with unbelievers? Well, you know, let me see. Uh, God doesn't, uh, a loving God would never send anybody to hell. Or a loving God would never allow bad things to happen. You know what? That's important to understand. But when you're talking to an unbeliever, I want to go to the heart of the gospel. We can deal with that stuff later. I want to know where you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ today. I want to know that if your breath is taken away today, are you going to spend, because it's not about whether or not God does this or God does that. Understanding his character comes later in discipleship. But where do you stand in terms of eternity today? Often the enemy will use that to distract stuff when you need to focus on what you are talking about, and that's the gospel. So please don't do what I've done. I always tell my kids this. You know, don't, don't do what I've done, right? Parents ever said that to their kids? Don't do what I've done. Don't, don't do what I say, do, you know, do what I don't say, right? Kind of, don't get into arguments. Don't, you know, I, and I said this a, a couple years ago, because I used to get into arguments all the time. I love fighting about the word of God. But they ended up being foolish speculations, and they produced nothing but quarrel and conflict. It's not worth it. So what I tell people today is I will not debate you on anything, when it comes to scripture. I will, if you have an open heart, I will discuss the word of God with you and we'll be led by the Holy Spirit to seek truth. But if you're in it for an argument, I'm backing off. I want nothing to do with it. That's why oftentimes today, I like to use Facebook as a way to preach the gospel and a way to share God's truth on the word, you know, on Facebook. But I will not get into arguments on Facebook. I truly have stayed away because it just leads to nothing but quarrels and then you've lost the ability to share the truth with them. So he says, refuse that. The Lord's bondservant must be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Now, clearly in the context, he's talking to, to, to a pastor. He's clearly, but I think these truths are not just for pastors. I believe these truths are for anybody who's handling the word of God. We're his bondservants. We're not to be quarrelsome. This isn't, isn't about being quarrelsome or winning an argument. How many of us have the tendency to want to win an argument when it comes to the Word of God? Anybody want to be honest with me today? I want to win an argument. This isn't about winning an argument, right? It's not about you being right and me being wrong. It's about God being right. And you can't do that when you're quarrelsome and, and argumentative. And, and what's really funny is I, I told my church this 
fairly recently. I said, you got me at a time when you, you're going to like me now. You wouldn't have liked me, uh, you know, 20-something years ago when I was in Allenville. I was quarrelsome. I was, I was ready to box everybody when it came to the Word of God. God has matured me. He's grown me up. I don't do that anymore. I've got, I've got way too much stuff I need to be doing than to get into foolish arguments with people about the Word of God. Now, if you're sincere and you want to understand God's Word, let's go for it. And here's something I've had to learn. Okay, able to teach, be kind, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Now, I know this doesn't happen in the body here, but there are certain individuals at my church who they constantly are attacking me uh, in terms of my teaching. The, the very stuff you're getting is the way I teach on Sunday mornings, and they're like, oh, it's too much like a Bible study. It's too much like this. It's too much like he talks about the word of God too much. <laughs> and, and I hate to say it, but this was this was out of ignorance. They, they you know, I had I had one group of people comment to me. Well, you're supposed to be preaching, not teaching. I said, you don't even know the difference between the two in the Greek. Preaching is proclaiming the gospel. It's not what the body does on Sunday morning. This is teaching. The preaching is the proclamation of the gospel to the unsaved. Now, will I give you the proclamation of the gospel as I teach? Absolutely, because there may be unbelievers who don't know Jesus today. So you'll get the gospels I'm teaching, but the, the, the two Greek words are different. Preaching and teaching are different. My job is to edify and equip the body, right? And, and, and you preach too long. You teach too long. I don't know what it is they think I'm doing. And I, I, I've actually had to deal with this. I've actually had to deal with people who are in opposition, trying to correct them gently, right? You have to understand what I'm doing. If you don't know what I'm doing, let's go back to the Word of God to see what it is that God is calling me to do. And if you think I teach too long, well, I, I don't wake up every week going, okay, let's see how I can tick the congregation off today by teaching for 50 or 55 minutes. If we are faithful teachers of God's word, myself, Pastor Landon, and so many other godly men standing in pulpits today, our job is to hear from God and to bring it to, you know, and I, yeah, I'm sensitive. I can see the clock up here. I'm sensitive, but I don't, I don't purposely go on. Let's see if I can teach for 30, 45, 55, 65 minutes. I want to bring you what God wants me to bring you today. And my prayer is that as you're sitting there, you're open to hearing what God has to say, right? And what Paul is being told is he, he just got to refuse to get caught up in these foolish arguments, right? And, and he has to deal with his opponents with gentle instruction. Why? Perhaps that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do as well. Do you know that we are not in a battle against flesh and blood, church? You know that, right? Even people in the church, well-meaning Christians who are opposing you or whatever, right? You're not in a battle with them. They may not know it, but they're being held captive by the enemy to do his will. There is a woman in my church, and I love her, and I'm trying to love her as a shepherd. I'm trying to pastor her but constantly is criticizing my teaching and my messages. And it's really funny because when the conversations come up, not, not from her, but from other people, they'll look at me and go, I don't get it. You're teaching us the word. I could sit and listen to you for another half hour. 
on Sunday morning. I'm kind of bothered by the fact that we can't spend more time, right? And so what I've learned to do is I've learned that, that God is somehow allowing the enemy to mess with her head. And what do I got to do? I'm praying. I'm praying. I don't fight those people anymore. It doesn't do any good. I don't even, even want to have conversations about it. If I hear somebody attacking me, and it's usually done through gossip church, you know that how, how the enemy likes to work. They don't come to me and tell me, Pastor, straight up, you know, they don't do the Matthew 18. They, they, they let it go through the grapevine, and it gets back to me, and in my flesh, it's like I want to, mm, I want to do this. But God says, no, pray. Pray for God to open their eyes to see that they're being manipulated by the enemy, right? That's what our responsibility is instead of getting into fights, okay? Now, continue on in chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 17. Beautiful set of verses. I love these. This, is a, this also falls under the category of perpetuating. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. Okay, he says, you, however, continue in the things that you've heard, you've learned and been convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, in, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Continue, perpetuate, continue in the things that you know. When we open the Word of God, do we open it forgetting what we've already learned? No, we continue in what we already know. God is adding more understanding about Him and His Word and even us. So continue in the things you've learned and in the things you've been convinced of. So when you study God's Word and you know truth, be convinced of it. Be convinced that you know the truth. Here's what I tell people all the time. Especially when there's a there's a uh, you know conversation about you know me not seeing or, or somebody else not seeing the same truth, I do listen. This is what I know. I'm going to be convinced of what I know until God shows me something different. So be convinced of right. And he says, knowing from whom you've learned them from. Now this is interesting. Who had he learned these things from? Well, he had learned them from Paul. Right? He was his disciple. He, he met him in Acts chapter 16. Right? He was already saved. He was already a disciple. But Paul took him under his wing and began to teach him more as the Holy Spirit uh, led Paul. So he had gotten that. He had gotten it also from the Scripture. What Scripture? Well, they didn't have the New Testament then. They had the Old Testament. Plus, let's not leave Mama and Grandma out of this picture. Mama and Grandma, Lois and Eunice, did you have the privilege of being raised in a Christian home with a godly mom and a godly grandma? I did not. I did. Actually, my grandmother, I believe, knew Jesus. She died the day before my 15th birthday. I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 23. So, but, but I, I wish I could sit. You know, they, they always ask, if you could sit down with a, in a, for a day with somebody who would you sit down with? And no offense, I love Jesus, but I'm going to get plenty of time to be with Jesus in eternity. I would sit down with my grandmother and say, I was ignorant. I didn't know. You tried to teach me the truth. Oh, if I could sit down with her one more time to talk about the word of God and the things that she taught me, even though I didn't come to believe any of these things for another eight years, 
She was a woman of God who prayed, who opened her Bible. And I, I can't wait to see Grandma again. It's going to be an exciting, exciting day. But they learned from Lois. He learned from Lois and Eunice. If you know anything about Timothy, you know Timothy's dad was a Greek. There's no indication from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's father was saved. But Mama and Grandma, they knew the scripture and they taught it. So if you're here today and you're a mama and a grandma, make sure your kids and grandkids get the word of God, okay? Right? So he knows that. He, he's, he, Tim, Paul has complete confidence in Timothy's ability to hold fast and be convinced of what he already knows. And then he goes on. This is a beautiful set of verses. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for four things. Now, let me just share something really interesting if you hadn't seen it before. The word all here in the Greek can mean every little piece or all of it together. What does that mean? That means that any portion of scripture that you pick out can be a verse, it can be part of a verse, or the totality of scripture, all of it's been inspired by God. Right? So if you pull it out and it's one, you know, just one verse, it's completely true. It's God breathed. It's God inspired, right? Do you believe that, church? Do you believe this is completely inerrant in the word of God? Because here's the reality. Either it's all true or none of it's true. Amen. It's all true, and I will die on that truth, that all of this is God's truth. And just so you know me, just so you get to know me a little bit better, I get really, really crazy under my skin when people take things out of context. <laughs> we're, in the, we're in the graduation season, right? What verse is, is all over every graduate's, uh, you know, in the Christian books or graduate's gift, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. That is not a graduation verse, folks. That was, a, that was a verse that was written by Jeremiah ahead of time before they went into captivity to remind them they were coming back. God had a plan for Israel, and he was going to bring them back and give them a future and a hope. The other one I love has to do with athletes, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Has nothing to do with athletics. Has everything to do in chapter, in that particular chapter where Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. And what he means there is I can do all things, which means I can trust you, God, to provide all my needs. That's what it means. I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? It's, it's useful for teaching, doctrine. Right doctrine, healthy doctrine. It's good for reproof. Right? It, reproof is, it shows us where we go wrong. Anybody in here want to confess to the fact that you don't have your life completely right in Christ and you need to be corrected or reproved every once in a while? <laughs> I got a brother over here smiling. Going, mm -hmm. Jim, if you only knew, right? Well, if you only knew, I need to be reproved by the word of God, which is absolutely perfect. Why? Because it's God-inspired. But don't you love it that God just doesn't reprove us? He corrects us. He shows us how to get it right. How many times have you had God reprove you, either in terms of your doctrine or your behavior, and you've, you've said, oh, God, Lord, forgive me. But then he shows you how to get it right. And you can walk again once again in victory. Correction. But I love this last one, training in righteousness. Right? The idea in the word that's being used here is for child training. It's pateon in the Greek, and it has to do with child training. What's God doing with us? We're his children. We're getting child training from the word of God. 
And we're being trained in right relationships. That's really what he's talking about here. Training in righteousness is right relationships. There are four right relationships that I see in Scripture. One is, first of all, a relationship to God. Second of all, a relationship to believers. Third, our relationship to unsaved. And fourth, this is the one we miss, our relationship to ourselves. You say, well, Jim, are you going to get narcissistic on me? Are you going to get self-centered? No. Think about the verses that say, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, here's the reality. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself the way God loves you. How many of us struggle with identity in here? How many times have you had the enemy yell in your ear or whisper in your ear, you're no good, you're a loser, look at what you did? I hear it all the time, right? We need to learn how to love ourselves the way God loves us, accept ourselves the way God accepts us, right? And then I love in Philippians, it says, and, and do not merely consider your own interests, but rather the interests of others. How can, you con- how can you be concerned about the interests of others if you don't have your own interests in, in order? So the Bible teaches about how we can relate rightly to ourselves in relationship to God, right? And so he says, so that, so that we might be what? Adequately equipped for every good work. Here you go, workmen. Sounds like 2 Timothy 2.15. We're workmen. We might be adequately equipped for every good work. Uh, this is interesting. I talk about this all the time with my students online. If you're a carpenter, you ever see what a carpenter's tool belt looks like? My dad used to wear one. It had everything. Wrenches, you know, uh, hammers and everything, right? Because a carpenter or, or, or somebody who works on things, they don't do it with one tool. Unless you're me, you know, you use a hammer as a screwdriver because I'm not very gifted in that area. But you have tools. You have tools. You have God's word that helps you to be adequate to handle everything. It literally means to be furnished, right? Furnished to every good work. You have all the furnishings that you need for anything that you would face in this life. First Peter says, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Where? In the Holy Spirit and in God's word. So he says, continue in these things. And then listen to this in chapter four, verses one and two. He says, I solemnly charge you to the last one is proclaiming, preaching the word. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ, who is the judge of living in the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? The time is going to come where they will not endure sound doc. Doesn't it sound like Paul wrote this yesterday? This is so for us today. They want their ears tickled. They, 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 want, they want to accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they'll turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You know how many pulpits are declaring myths? Myths are things that are made up. You don't have to make anything up with the word of God. It is just there. You just need to know it and live it. So he charges. Paul, in, his, in the presence, I love this. He's charged. In the presence of God and Jesus Christ, you couldn't, you couldn't bring a bigger charge. You could not bring a loftier, weightier charge to the proclamation of God's word. You're doing it in God's presence and by the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what? 
here's what I know. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, for those who do will be judged more strictly or more harshly. I know that whatever I declare, God's going to hold me accountable for. 1 Peter Chapter 4 talks about being a shepherd of the under being an under shepherd of the shepherd. We will be held accountable one day for what we declare. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, submit yourself and obey the leaders over you. Why? Because they must care for your soul. Your pastor has an incredible responsibility of making sure he is caring for your soul and he's feeding you the truth so that you can live the way Jesus wants you to live. And just so you know this, one day, Pastor Landon, Pastor Jim, we're going to stand before God and be held accountable for what we taught. He has an incredible charge as your pastor. And he says, do it in and out of season. Do it when it's convenient. Do it when it's not. Right? And we've all had those times where it's like, Lord, you're making me say this to somebody? It's really not convenient right now. And God says, tell them. May not be convenient. Right? In and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, correct. Exhort with great patience and instruction. The reproving and the rebuking is the idea of, of um, those who are incorrect in their, in their doctrine. Those who are sinning, you rebuke. Right? And those who are doing well, what are we supposed to do? Encourage you. Does your pastor encourage you? Does he encourage you? I bet he does, right? He just seems like an encourager. I love him. I've, I've only known him for about a year and a half. God brought us together in the Tuesday morning prayer group. And I'll tell you what, there's some great men in there. But the guy that I feel closest to is your husband. I love him. He is such a brother. He's such an encourager. But I also know that he's not afraid to rebuke when he needs to. And by the way, rebuking as a pastor is not fun. It's not the, the most fun part of our job, but he's not afraid to do it, right? Because he knows he's doing it for your good and for the Lord, right? Okay, I just gave you a tour through 2 Timothy. I can't imagine what he's trying to pull off over a whiting with the whole Bible. By the way, I'm going to go back and watch his message later because I can't wait to hear what he has to say. But in closing, in closing, if we are to do this, there's, there's actually one final concluding exhortation. Back in chapter 2, suffer as a good soldier of Jesus Christ to please the commanding officer because the word of God is not chained. Do you know when you do this, you will get opposition? You understand that when you stand on God's truth and you, you proclaim his word and you live according to his word, there will be opposition. And know this, wherever we are stationed as soldiers, whether it be Freedom Fellowship or Whiting Community Baptist Church, wherever we are stationed as soldiers, we are to hold forth, forth the word of life, Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Hold forth, forth the word of life in a wicked and perverse generation. If Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago, good night, Paul. If you could come into our culture today, we live in the midst of wickedness and perversion and the only light that the world has is as we hold out the truth of God's word. Because we know that we fought the good fight like Paul with the sword of the spirit, we've run the race and we finished the course that's waiting for us, a crown of righteousness which the Lord has promised to all who love his appearing. When you are faithful, guess what's coming? Is, Christian, is the Christian life tough? Okay, don't tell me it's not. Because I've lived it for 30, almost 38 years. I, I thought it was early on. It's not. It's tough. 
There's a lot of battles. There's a lot of battle in my own flesh. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of, it's, you know, my circumstances don't always go the way I want them to. Uh, I told you earlier that um, I have uh, five children, four living on this earth, one living in heaven. Back in 2000, uh, my three-year-old son got bit by a tick in our backyard in Michigan, and he went to be with the Lord six days later. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I know what I'm talking about. Life is not easy. Life is tough. But is it worth it? Is the fight worth it? Is the battle worth it? Absolutely, because Jesus is going to come and take us away one way or another. I was joking with people in my congregation, wouldn't it be cool if God took us while we were in Jerusalem? <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? I'd be waving to all of you, the whiting people over here, the freedom people over here. Hey, guys, we're going up. <laughs> Don't you love it? Don't you? Yeah, go ahead, clap for Jesus. You can do that. So the question is that we need to ask ourselves in relation to God's word is, are we growing through it in our relationship with the Lord and others? Hebrews 5, 13 through 14. The writer of Hebrews rebukes them for not growing up, for not growing up. My challenge to you today is continue to grow. And if you haven't started growing, grow, right? You are going to be such a blessing to your pastor you're going to be such a blessing to this congregation, and you're going to be such a blessing to the people who need God's truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be in your word. Lord, I pray I haven't gone too long. Father, just thank you for allowing, just having the privilege of being in your pulpit today. Thank you for the graciousness of Landon to allow me to do this. Thank you for the graciousness and the welcome of your people. Father, I feel like I walked into family today. I pray that Landon has felt the same way, that he's walked into family today because as the body of Christ, we are family. And we have one goal, and that's to live for you, to declare your truth, to walk in your truth, and get people ready and equipped for eternity. So Father, just bless this congregation, bless them. I pray that they've, they've heard something today that they can walk away with. They can, they can take an application out of here today for themselves. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to know your word well enough to be able to give it to somebody else who can then give it to somebody else. And Father, we do this for one reason and one reason only, and that's to be pleasing to you and for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.